We're going to be in a few places today, but if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 17 today as we continue to visit with Paul while he is in Athens. Uh, today, what we're asking and maybe answering this question of, is God knowable? Um, and so I'm going to start off with the cheat sheet uh, for you today, just in case you stayed up watching a particular football game last night and you fall asleep later on. <laughs> we don't get that very often, y'all. <laughs> Man, so good. But listen, what's even better? Here's the cheat. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and knows that he rewards those who seek him. This is a very powerful statement. Is God knowable? That's what we're going to tackle today. But I want to just really high level, very easily say, the Bible tells us that by faith in Christ Jesus, it is possible to draw near, to know God. But you have to believe that he exists. And, man, this is, we... we we touched this last one like, you know, with a 10-foot pole, like it's got the plague because it's been abused a little bit in our society. And that he does what? Rewards those who seek him. That's hard for some of y'all been Baptist long enough. That's hard for you to say, wasn't it? Right? It, it, it's hard. But if we're going to draw near to God, we have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we have to be mindful. Now, it's, I'm, the Bible's not talking about this rewards as in you're going to get this, you know, big, super big house. We, we, we changed a word to say mansions in the Bible once upon a time to make it happen, right? But, but process through this with me. If you want to draw near, can we draw near to God? Yes. How do we do it? By believing that he exists and believing that he rewards those who seek him. And that's just like a 50,000 foot view. It's not possible to please God by, by your offerings. Let me, let me say it that way. It's not possible to know God by bringing enough stuff to the table that he's like, oh, I want to get near to that person. That, that person... They have it together. I'm drawing near to them. You find, that sounds silly out loud, doesn't it? But you know what the story of the rich young ruler in Luke, when Jesus is talking about the rich young ruler and, and how he went away sad, they said, well, how is it possible for anybody then? And Jesus says, well, you're right. It's not possible with man. It's impossible. But it's possible with God. And in that, Christ shows us this, this secret idea, this truth that it is impossible to know God in and of ourselves. Apart from him, it is impossible to know him. It's impossible to please him. It's impossible to draw near to him. But what is impossible for man, Jesus says, is possible with God. And so if, if you were to fall asleep from here on out, you would miss a lot of great scripture but you'd at least know what the end goal is. Amen? Some people just turn, I felt people turn off the video feed right then. It just happened. Now, listen, somewhere along the line, we know this is true cognitively, but we've forgotten it in life. <clears throat> 
there's a, there's a story, a parable that Jesus tells in Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. Uh, the Bible says, says it this way. Let me, let me go back to verse 16. Um, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man, in the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I got an idea. I will, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there are stole all of my grain and all of my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for himself treasure, excuse me, treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, I, I have been going, my, my mom has joined us today uh, for worship and uh, growing up, we went to different churches. We've always gone to church growing up, um, non-denominationals, Methodists. I think I went and visited a CCD class one time with a buddy, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? But, but when we moved to Florida, we went to the Baptist church and they were nice to us. Um, and so when we moved to Texas when I was 10, I decided I was Baptist. I didn't even know what it meant. But I was like, they're the nice people. Some of you are like, that's not my experience. That's okay. You're here. You're here. But, but as I've, I've looked into doctrine, God's grace, he led us directly not to a denomination, but to a doctrinal understanding of truth. Here's what I have loved about our faith tradition. A lot of things I would let go of, but not this one. I love that we are a people of the word right so so the word defines us we don't reinterpret the word in every generation right one gets you a bad ticket to the wrong direction and one is God defining you we don't want to be defining God for our whole life amen you follow me I love that we elevate that but it has led us into a trap and do you know what that trap can be barn building. And, and, and what that barn building looks like, I think sometimes in our faith tradition, is building up storehouses of biblical knowledge and then, and then being proud of comparing our barns to one another. You know, how, how much we know, how much we see. And this comes from, listen, I'm not telling you don't, you don't need to study. We'll get through that, right? I, I went to seminary to get my master's. I love studying. Paul was brilliant. He made everybody else look silly. This is not about knowledge is bad, but we tend to worship knowledge a little bit because we elevate it so much because we see so little bit of, of knowledge gathering going on. And so we build these barns that store our knowledge. And, and what happens in the middle of this barn building is we substitute eternal words for eternal life. Because we like substituting when we can measure, count, and make markers. And we need to be mindful that all the plenty that God gave that man in his story wasn't bad. It was simply that that became the idol he worshiped. You see, 
in Athens. If you remember where Paul is, Acts chapter 17, verse 21 is where we'll be today. But Paul's gone into Athens, and Athens is this mecca of knowledge. It, 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 is, it is no longer what it used to be. It's down to about 5,000 people, most likely, by the time Paul came. Hundreds and thousands of people have left. It was known as this place you could think and talk to other people and sharpen yourself. It was a place really where Babel became a substitute for knowledge because knowledge, real knowledge produces something, but Babel is self-encouragement. Babel just, it makes me feel good that I can keep in the conversation. Have you ever been out babbled? <laughs> Don't look at your wife. Have you ever been out babbled? And what I mean is two people are going at it and you wish you had a clue what they were talking about. And you're like, oh, I just, I need to read that book because I'm being out babbled. You don't care about the subject matter. It's not gonna make a difference in your life, but you just need to accumulate knowledge. This is what was happening in Athens. This, this idea that this knowledge bringing in was key and knowledge had built this religious system defined by the Stoics and the Epicureans. The Stoics believed in a, in a pantheology, which if you don't know what that means, it's okay. Just think Star Wars, right? The force this God is in everything. This is this idea-ish that the Epicureans believed. They were polytheistic. They had a God for everything. I don't know if it was 30,000 or 300,000. Let's go 30 that way. I'm definitely safe. But 30,000 plus gods for every little thing. Because their, their knowledge had, had shown them enough to say, we know that we can't be the end all, but we need to create a system that helps us navigate through it. The problem is it left them wanting. In fact, it was the pursuit, no kidding. It was the pursuit of knowledge without action that caused to the downfall of Athens. You see, Athens wasn't really overrun by an overwhelming force. They were so brilliant in their thinking that they started to overthink. And in overthinking, when war was on the war front, they said, we can bring everybody into the city gates and we can set up this fortified thing around us and we can endure and last. And the problem is that they didn't think disease. They didn't think cleanliness. They thought about everything, all of this. They, were, they had outthought more powerful armies and they had it. And all of a sudden, a plague wipes out 30% of Athens' community. You see, when, when knowledge is stored up, it always leaves you wanting. It always feels like a substitute that doesn't satisfy and so Paul comes on the scene, not saying that knowledge is worthless, but he gives a great warning that knowledge, barn building, can make your life worthless and it will lead you not to life and eternity, but to this faith that's wanting, that's missing something. Here's how I know. Look in your Bible, chapter 17, Acts chapter 20, 17, verse 21 and verse 22. We're just gonna follow Paul along. Remember, Paul is brilliant. He's a student. He's, he's, not, um, he's not outclassed here. 
for sure, but look what happens. Now, all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there were spending their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. So Paul opens up and he sees what's going on. And Paul doesn't have a problem with knowing what to say. But the knowledge of true life in Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the unknown God that these people aren't aware of, it has caused his life to take action. It has, it has spurred on something to do. And so he walks into this place where everybody loves to sit around learning new stuff, knowledge gathering. And he says, you know what? I perceive in every way that you are very religious. Verse 23, for I passed along and observed the objects of worship and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. Here he is walking into this city and he comes by an idol. And it says something like to the unknown God. I can imagine the spirit pricking Paul's heart right now because all of a sudden he is saying, your pursuit of God has led you to admitting that you are falling short and you just want to cover your bases. Your pursuit of, of religious knowledge, of knowing something about a deity that is not yourself has brought you to this place. Their academic pursuit has left them wanting because barn building doesn't satisfy. You see, church, we can fall in this trap. We, we can come to small group week in and week out. We can come and sit and worship week in and week out and we can gather knowledge about scripture. And then when we leave, we can check out because there's a football game on, there's kids to take somewhere, there's life to do, there's work to do. But, but all of a sudden, we can make our life in Christ a pursuit of academics. And when we make following Christ an ap academic pursuit, it does yield something. It's kind of like a movie ticket. See, when I purchase a movie ticket and go to the movie, I sit for a couple of hours, maybe three if it's good enough. And I feel joy, I feel inspired, I feel pain, I feel excitement, I feel loss. It, it can hit me deeply if it's a story in my world that attaches anything to family or children, it'll come deep. And, and it will rain with me. And a few weeks later, I'll talk about how good the movie was, but it will cause nothing to happen in me outside of that moment I'm in there. Church, when you and I make following or pursuing Christ an academic pursuit, it produces excess without action. And so before we go any further, don't raise your hand. Don't, I had to play with myself. I answered this question myself this week. Don't raise your hand. Don't have to turn to your spouse and confess. But here's my question. Have you been pursuing Christ and knowledge of the living God academically? Has that been the end goal? Has that been how you have measured your life? Here's my ticket sit soak feel good be inspired 
be engaged, sit next to people I like, leave a space between the people that I need to. And then I go home because it's the thing to do. This is exactly what the people in Athens were doing, not of Christ, but of this unknown God and all these others, God. Church, I want you to know from here on forward, Paul does something very clean, very clear. You see, knowing about God, knowing who he is, it rewrites our misunderstandings and it corrects our misfires. Because truth that is received about God doesn't inform it transforms. That's what Paul writes. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If, if church has left you wanting, my question is today, is will you allow the truth of Christ to come into your life so that you can be honest before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? about how you have been pursuing him. Look at verse 23 one more time. The Bible says it this way. For I passed along and observed the objects of worship. I found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. You see, there's a tension about God. And I want you to know, if you haven't ever thought of it this way, it exists, I think, in all of us and every creature that ever exists. It's hard to deny God. It takes a lot of effort to deny God. But there's an easy tension that exists between God is unknowable, so it's not important. And God can be known and wrapped up in a pretty neat little wrapping. And I can do that. Many, many false religions and false lives are built around this. And many, many lives that we see around us are built around this. And there's this tension that says either he's completely unknowable or I can figure him all out. And in that tension, it creates such a, a need inside of us that we feel like we have to have an answer to the question. Either A, God is not knowable or B, I know everything about him because we like having answers. Amen? And don't we love people that have answers? I mean, let's, let's be honest. People will ask me questions all the time in my house or around, not even about Jesus. And do you know what I do? I Google it. Because I want the answer. And I'm thinking, y'all don't know how to Google. We got to work on this. But, but I like knowing the answer. And if I can build up a big enough storehouse, a barn of answers, then God's got to be impressed, and so do you. My children have something to look up to. It's not grain and stuff. It's, it's barn building for Jesus. Amen? Listen, I think it starts with us willing to let Paul's word hit our life. Do you have markers set up in your life that profess a truth that your lips will not say? That you don't know everything and it leaves you wanting. I was trying to remember the date with it and I was, I was gonna text Connor during service let him know I was gonna use a story about him. But Christy and I were gone on a run about a decade ago. Actually, it's probably 12 or 13 years ago. And I remember getting a phone call where I'm on the run. And, you know, Connor was at home by himself as a small child. And we were on this, this run. And by run, I'd use that term loosely for me. And he answers. He said, Dad, where's the remote control? I'm like, this is why he called. 
I said, baby, I don't know who had it last. He said, well, I don't know who had it last. And I want to change, I want to turn the TV. I want to change and watch something I'm watching. I said, well, baby, I don't know where it is. And he says, fix it. I said, what do you want, son? And he said, I want you to know everything. Do you know what as a dad? I don't ever want my son to come with me with a question I can't answer. Amen? Even where the room, I mean, it sounds silly, but when he said that to me, I journaled it. Because I thought, I don't ever want you to be in a place in life where I don't know the answer. I'm with you. No matter how high or how low, I am there and I have got you. Because somewhere deep inside of us, we want people to tether their lives to God through whom? Us. And so we set a marker, an idol to the unknown God. But you can know me who knows God for you. Church, we have to lean into it because the reality is our life is not here because we lack knowledge. You and I need to understand this when we compare us to the Athenians the average American consumes 100,000 words every day. That's 350 times more than the average American did 30 years ago and more information than the, than the Athenians could ever have dreamed about. And so are you this morning willing to see that the wanting of our faith, the fruitlessness in our life is not caused by the lack of knowledge, but is caused by the lack of embracing God's word in a way that transforms us to live life in his footsteps. See, when you leave today, I don't want you saying, I hope I remember what he says. Instead, I really want you to leave saying, Almighty God, how will you transform me through the hearing of your word today? That, that's where we lead to, and that's all Paul says. To us, it'll look very shallow, very, very simple. If you have your Bible, look a little bit further in verse 24 with me. We'll look at verse 24 and verse 25. Paul just says, listen, what you don't know, I'll proclaim to you. I'll tell you about this so you don't have to be confused in this world. I don't have all the answers, but I have this one. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Listen to this truth. Paul says, listen, if you wanna know God, the first thing you have to know is he is one God and he is creator. You see, the knowledge of God will challenge the culture of your life. For the Athenians, the, their culture was this, that there were many gods or he was a part, basically, of creation. And what Paul says from the get-go is the truth that I will proclaim to you tells both of those things are the wrong track to having a life that is not wanting you see, cognitively, he says, it should make sense to you that the creator of all things, the one God, is not in need of your shrines, nor is he in need of your help. 
He isn't in need of your shrines, nor is he in need of your help. Church, I want you to know, when coming to church, whether you put something in the offering plate, whether you give something to the homeless on the street, if, if you and I are just doing and living out rituals and routines, these moments to give God a high five, he is not pleased nor appeased by them. Because it's not about rituals and routine. Knowing God is about allowing who he is to transform our life day in and day out. Jesus rebuking the Pharisees in Matthew 23 says, you think you're all that because you tithe of the small things. And he says, you listen to me, you tithe of the small things, but you neglect the greater things. In other words, you find this surface level way to, to ritualize barn building for God. But I'm telling you, pleasing and living for God invades every ounce of your life, every word of your mouth, every stroke of your keyboard, every post on your social media page, every way that you talk to your friends, discipline your children, love your spouse, love yourself, all of these things, the word of God, God as creator and God as one should transform all of these things. And in this moment, he challenges them to say, what is the culture of your view of God? Is he so small? Is he so self-unsure that he needs the altars and the shrines of your life? I love it. I was talking to the staff this week. In Psalms, God says, listen, I'm so not in need of you that even if I got hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I, I don't need you, but I want you and you need me. Church, this morning, will you allow this idea, this reality that God as creator and as one should make its way into every rhythm, every word, every thought of your life. What would happen if this week you allowed the one God, the creator God, to transform everything? from how you complained to how you complimented. That won't leave you wanting, will it? Because you, can't, you don't store it up in a barn for a later date. It, the water's running loose and you're drenching everything with it. You're experiencing the reward and the life in Christ just by knowing that one thing about him. Do you see how knowing that transforms but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes a little bit further in verse 26 and verse 27. He said, and he made from one man, every nation, every mankind to live on the earth, all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. He says, the second thing I want you to know, Athenians, is that God is the author. 
Now, now we know this. If you've read your Bible, this isn't something, a new term for you, but for them it was because when Paul comes in, he says, this one creator God who made from one man every nation determined every period and every boundary. He, he's, he's hitting at something hard. The Athenians thought they were better than everybody else. I mean, our national pride looks nothing compared to their national pride. They actually believed they were formed from different dirt than everybody else. So it gave them a right to think less of others and more of themselves. What a weird thought. We would never see that stuff happening, would we? Valuing yourself over someone else because of your background or your history. Because of what you know, what you've gathered, because your kingdom is great and you're winning at the moment. I love this. What Paul says is, from one man, we're all from the same place. From one man, God set it all in motion and he determined the periods, the periods of which government would reign and be the strongest at which time. God has never been surprised by any grand growing of government or country in the history of creation. Why? Because he has determined it. And the boundaries that they have, oh, he did that too. See, there's a challenge that transforms their identity. And Paul says, where do you find your worth? Because if you don't know God, if you don't know him as your author, then your worth is tied to something else. Your family history, that can be destroyed and blown up in a moment. Your national pride taken away in an instant. The boundaries of what is yours gone in a second. Paul says, if that's where your identity is, no wonder why you are wanting. But the knowledge of God as author of your life, just a simple, small thing, will it be allowed to transform who you identify with and as? You see, we can only redefine ourselves by professing one thought about God. I am author and he is not. We can only define our families by that way. See, the me trap that we find ourselves in, this, this idea that life revolves around me for Jesus, it pulls us into this thought that life is about solving the puzzle using biblical knowledge. At best, that will leave you to a life that is wanting and paralyzed. At worst, it will lead you to live a life that is weary, weak, and deteriorating. Will you allow the truth that God as author to challenge and transform everything that identifies you as you? Dad, Mom, friend, engineer, student, teacher. Don't build barns that are just new age altars and idols. But will you let the word and the revelation of God draw you near to him 
in impossible ways that you can't solve, sew up, or figure out. In ways that you just are. When Jesus healed the man born blind, he was brought before the Pharisees and they said, who did this to you? He said, I was blind, bro. How did he do it? He said, I don't know. But here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. The knowledge of God transformed him through assurance in Jesus Christ. That's it. It wasn't about solving the puzzle. That's what the Pharisees were about. It wasn't about figuring it. It wasn't about building a brand. This is who I was and this is who I am. Church, this morning, who are you? If you lost your income right now, who are you? things at home got tough who are you who defines your life and then if you call yourself a Christ follower look in scripture and see if that will support you and allow the word of God to transform your life see if you go a little bit further down verse 30 Paul says this the times of ignorance God overlooked and now he commands all people everywhere all people everywhere repent turn your back on your barns turn your backs on, on the identity and the, the shrines you've built around yourself to make you feel more confident that one day when you actually meet God, it'll be okay. Turn your back on it. And here's why. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this, he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. Church, we need to know Jesus' return. We talk about it every now and then. We, we, we hope for it kind of sometimes. But, but there's one truth, that there is a set day by the author and creator of all things on which he will draw near and he will bring judgment on all things so will your assurance will it lie in your knowledge so that you can answer God's quizzes or will it already be placed in the son of God who died and because of a testimony to the world God raised him from the dead that he might be, he might be our advocate. How is he our advocate? We have to believe in who he is and believe that in him there is a way to a reward in eternal life that we cannot have on our own. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. 
Lord, let us dive deep into your word. Lord, you have given it as a, as a confident revelation of who you are. So Father God, let us study your word. Let us, let us dive deep into it, but only to embrace it that our lives might be transformed through submission to it, God. Lord, guard our hearts and mind against an academic pursuit that leaves us wanting. But let us pursue you, God, because the joy is better before us than behind us, because the reward is greater in front than in back, because life eternal is found in living out a life that is near to you. Father, if there's a man or woman, boy or girl in this room this morning that does not know you as their creator and author, Father, I pray right now in this moment, Lord, that your spirit would allow them to know the altars they've built will lead them nowhere. Lord, allow them to find themselves in you. Let them confess that the one died and rose again is the one to lead them as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.